We read Judges 2, 10 through 19, and 3, 5 through 6. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the all. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asheroths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders, yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. 3, 5 through 6. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters and married and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. This is God's word. Amen. All right. Thank you, Ramiro. We give them, uh, yes, it's beautiful. Um, I just threw that last verse in to make you say all those names. Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, Amorites, San Diegoites, San Diego ones, which is it? Um, morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good, good. Good to be with you. Um, this is, uh, I'd like to say this whenever I do both. I'm the same guy who just led worship, so this is still, still me. Uh, same person. Um, we jokingly call a service, like every once in a while I'll, I'll lead worship and preach, and we call that service J-K-L-O-L, which stands for Just Kenny, Loving on the Lord. And uh, so I'm glad that you guys could all be here for J-K-L-O-L today. Um, uh, yeah, so did anyone take a drama class in high school? Yes. Yeah. I don't know if it, I can't remember if it's mandatory or not, but I think mine was, and I took drama, and uh, actually, you know, an unrelated story, I got actor of the year, my senior year. Um, the, the part you don't know is that there's only one play every year, and I guess I just did okay in it. Um, but one of the things we learn, you know, we learn about what's a comedy, and how to recognize a comedy, and a comedy is the uh, the characters kind of start out, and then by the end of the plot, the characters, most of them are generally doing better, better off than in the beginning, right? But now, um, a, a tragedy, a tragedy is a little bit different. Um, a tragedy is where the character, you kind of start out and you see where the characters are, and then by the end of the play or the movie or whatever it is, every single one of the characters is basically off worse than they were at the beginning, and um, 
tragedies are depressing. <laughs> um, and what we're reading in this story of, of uh, Judges um, is, I was actually in the wrong book right there. Um, what we're reading in this story of Judges, we started a sermon series last week, and we're, we're looking at this story of the people of God. It's a historical record of um, some of their journeys. This is when they were brought out of uh, slavery in Egypt, and then they were sustained in, in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they've been in the promised land, and um, they, they've had to fight all kinds of battles, and God has told them to, hey, there's all these other gods that are around, and you need to break down those altars, because you, if you don't, you're going to end up worshiping at those altars. And uh, they basically, this story that we have, Judges, is kind of the story of them just like failing uh, <laughs> over and over. And you go to the next chapter and then they fail again. Um, and it's, I, as I've been studying it, it I'm kind of comparing it a little bit to a tragedy. But here's the thing about a, a tragedy and here's the thing about uh, failure. The reason we relate to tragedies is because all of us um, go through struggles and all of us fail from time to time. Yeah. Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right, good. I know we're in a grace church when I can get an amen at that, right? <laughs> Uh, all of us fail from time to time, um, but the thing that failure gives us an opportunity to do is to learn, right? You guys ever heard that? Sometimes you win and sometimes you learn, right? When you lose your... Failure is... Another person says it. Failure is... Uh, how do they say it? <laughs> failure is fodder for learning, Right? Or another way to say it is failure is data to make better decisions, right? And, and so we all experience failure, but not all of us learn from it because that takes a choice. And when we look at the scriptures, you know, the Bible says that all scripture is profitable for instruction, for doctrine, for preaching, for rebuking, for uh, correcting and aligning our lives with God. And so when we're looking at the Old Testament, this is, this is you know, it can be kind of dark, it can be kind of tragic, but... Um, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things happened to them so that they could be examples to us, so that we could learn. And so what I want to look at today is we're kind of looking at this, this section of the book from chapter 2, verse 6 to chapter 3, verse 6, about a chapter long, is for us to say, just to look at it from the, big, from the beginning and say, yeah, this is a tragedy, right? It's not going to be like this real happy, like, denouement at the end. Like, I don't know if you, if you caught what the end of what Ramiro was saying was that the, the very last verse he read was that they, they, they intermarried with the people there who were in the promised land who they were told not to make any covenants with. And they served the gods of the people who were there who they were told to break down those idols, right? And so basically the scripture is telling us this end of this passage right here is like, this is the worst ending possible. They did exactly the opposite of what I called them to do, and this is where they are. And so I, I want us to look at it today and say, what can we learn from this? And you know, they, they, that's the other thing is, in, in the book of Judges, I don't know if you guys know, but um, Jesus is not in here yet. Uh, he comes later, way later in the book. Just keep flipping pages left, and then you'll find him in the New Testament, right? So they don't have that, but we do. 
And so as we look at the lessons we can learn from their, fail- from their failures, I also want to look at the hope we have even more than they had. Like they had hope. The, not only is it the story of God's people failing time and time again, it's a story of, of God's rescuing love for his people. That even though they kept failing, even like we talked about last week, what is he going to do? What's God going to do? Is he going to is he going to bless them even though they're totally rebelling or is he going to keep his word and not bless them unless they obey him? And, and we see that in the cross, he keeps both. Right. Because he's perfectly just, but he's perfectly loving. And we see the heart of God there. So um, is that all right this morning? Yeah. All right. Good. Good, good, good. All right. Um, the thing, the first thing we notice, and I want to get into a few different challenges. The first thing we notice is that their main challenge is idolatry. Everyone say idolatry. idolatry. Um, which is a fancy word for worshiping idols, worshiping other gods. And um, like I said, they're supposed to break down these altars, but they ended up sacrificing at those altars. And that may sound kind of off because we're not tempted to, um, most of us in a Western kind of culture and setting and Western upbringing aren't tempted to worship like a carved image or a a bronze kind of idol. But our society is still very full of idols. And our hearts are very prone to worship those idols around us. And so even though this is written 3,300, 3,200 Years ago, over 3,000 years ago, it speaks to our hearts today. The quote we read from last week um, says, whatever controls us is really our God. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. Another way of saying how we're participating in idolatry is when a good thing in our life becomes a God thing. When we desire that thing more than we desire God or His will or His ways or His blessings. So they were surrounded with this. We are surrounded with it too. The first lesson that we see from them, the first example that they give us is of a broken relationship a broken relationship verse 17 he read it earlier says this yet they would not listen to their judges but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them they quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who have been obedient to the lord's commands everybody say prostitute <laughs> i just wanted to see if you would uh, I bet you've never been asked to say that word in church. Is everyone, do we have any kids in here? Oh, um, I should have checked first. Um, no, that's a striking and provocative image, is it not? We're not used to like, oh, open the Bible, get my inspirational word for the day. Mm, they prostituted themselves. What? This is the people of God? Why is it described that way? It's described that way because God's relationship with his people is not just a king with servants. I mean, it is that, but it's not just that. And it's not just a shepherd with sheep. God 
God show, reveals himself as a bridegroom to a bride. As, a, as the most intimate relationship, the most committed relationship that humankind knows of. That's how God refers to himself with his people in Ezekiel 16, in Ephesians 5, in Revelation 19, Old Testament, New Testament. Hey, we are in this. I have committed to you. I have brought you when you were not a people. I made you a people of promise. When you were slaves for 400 years, I brought you out and you are my people. You will be my people and I will be your God. So when they're running to other gods, God is saying, it's not just, oh, well, that's okay, but just come, you know, come back. No, he's saying, you have, you have not only violated your marriage, but you've gone out and sold yourself to these other gods. And, and forgive me for, for um, looking at that metaphor a little bit more, but, but I mean, uh, prostitutes then and now, it, it's a really sad situation if that's someone's life. Often their life's out of control. They're in a desperate situation and they find that they're, they're selling themselves and giving themselves without getting any love and care in return. And so God is saying, when you're not worshiping me, but you're worshiping these other gods that aren't even real, it's like that kind of relationship where you become basically their slave. We come in, when, when we're serving an idol, we come into an intense relationship with it which uses us but doesn't really care for us. Why does God use this imagery? Because God wants us to connect the dots that idolatry or serving other gods in God's eyes is equal to adultery from Him. It's being unfaithful to our relationship with him, that sin is going outside of the relationship that he's created for us. And it makes sense when we see it that way why God is so angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyone ever read about God's anger in the Old Testament and you get a little puzzled? Like, oh, I thought God was loving. How can he be so angry? Right? Well, it, it makes a lot more sense when we realize that God's anger is not, not opposed to his love, but it's actually an outworking of his love. Yeah. It's the anger. It's the it's the anger of a spouse who is dealing with an unfaithful spouse. As broken as that is, that's the anger in God's heart. It's because of His love for His people that He's angry with them. And so Israel, we we see this picture of them is they're married, but it says that they're a married prostitute, which just doesn't work. They're, they're schizophrenic. They're forgetting who their God is, that he's the Lord of all the earth, that he made all the earth, that he gave them a promised land out of his own goodness and grace for them to show the world what he is like. And instead, they're going the pagan way of this mix and match religion. Right? See, in the old days, in, in, well, in, in Canaan where they were, there were many gods. You might have a god of war. You might have a goddess of fertility. You might have a god of business or agriculture or... Um, what have you. And the, the way it worked is you would worship and give offerings to the areas of your life that you wanted um, help from that God in. Does that make sense? Right? So you pick, you know, I might worship this God because I need my crops to be bigger this year. And I might worship this God because, you know, uh, I need help in my love life. Or I need, I need to worship this God because this, this, and this, right? 
or to get, um, uh, well, you guys get what I'm saying. But what happened is there's a mix and match version of spirituality where there's not a sovereign God overall. It's that the worshiper is sovereign. That they get to choose which God they'll worship and when and how much they'll give to that God and how much of their life will be in the control of that God, which is not a real God at all. It was carved by human hands. Do you see how, do you see how in that picture that you, when you're doing that, you end up being slaves to gods that can't love you? They can't forgive you. Let's tie it in, right? <laughs> Let's tie it in. Not just them, but here's the thing. I, and I think I have this quote up here, but the danger, it, the, there's a danger here for us because Israel didn't just turn away from the sovereign Lord of all because he revealed himself and I'm Lord over everything. I created everything. I'm sovereign over everything. Every area of your life belongs to me and that's good news, right? And, but they didn't just turn away to another God and choose one God. They turned to many gods says that they serve the Baals, which is the Canaanite word for Lord with a little L. So they, ser- they turned from the Lord, all caps, and served the many lords, right? And the Ashtoreths, which were other goddesses. And the danger is the same for us. The danger is not that we're just going to, for most Christians, it's not that we're just going to turn to one other god. Well, let me just read the quote. <laughs> The greatest danger because it's a subtle temptation which enables us to continue as church members and feel that nothing is wrong is not that we become atheists, but that we ask God to coexist with idols in our heart. For most of us, it's not the big thing that we're just going to automatically turn and serve another God. Just forget about Jesus. That was great. Now I got this other God or no God. For most of us, it's saying, yeah, Jesus is good on Sunday, and he's good at GCM, and then when I'm at work, I got this other God. Or when I'm in my relationship, I got this other God. Or when I need approval from other people, I can't rely on God's word. I got to do whatever I need to do to please them. Or when it comes, God's word is good, but when it comes to my career, that's got to come first. And if I've got to sacrifice family, relationship with God, are we tracking? The problem is not that we're just going to instantly lose faith. It's that we're going to want to keep faith and invite God into this idle minefield of our hearts and say, I worship you as a sovereign Lord, but not in this little area. This is mine. Right? And it's never as sinister as that because we never say it out loud. But when we do say it out loud, we see it. Is this tracking at all? Is anyone feeling this? Or am I the only one that's just absolutely crushed by this? <laughs> like, I read that quote, I'm like, <laughs> And here's a helpful question when we look at this. And we, when we ask, hey, am, am I guilty of doing the same thing the Israelites did here? How can we know if God is Lord over every area of our life? And there's a couple questions we can ask. One is just to know the gods of our society. You know, the gods that our, that our um, culture praises and worships, uh, um, which there's all sorts. Of, I think San Diego, some of them are like comfort. Like we love to do stuff. We're totally committed unless it gets uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, like, I'm good. I can't, um, you know. Okay, 
like eggshells around here. I'm just like crunching eggshells. Um, right? So there's one thing to know the gods of our society, but the other thing is to look at every area of our own life. So our families, our careers, our possessions, our ambitions, what we want to do, um, our time, where, where our time goes, etc., etc. And ask these two questions. One, am I willing to do whatever God says about this area? Like when I read God's word and he challenges me on this area, am I willing to do it? Because if not, that's a red flag. That might be an area of your life where you're worshiping an idol instead of God. And the second question is, am I willing to accept whatever God sends in this area? Am I willing to accept his sovereignty when it seems like it's not in line with what I want or what I hope or what I feel? And wherever the answer is no, that's an area that we have opened up or potentially already given over that area of our life to a God that's not real. To a God who, if you fail it, will never forgive you. You guys ever thought about that? If you live for your career and then you fail yourself and your career, it never forgives you. It haunts you if that's your God. Insert, I just said career, but insert whatever it is. If you live and you worship your family above God and then your family fails you or something goes wrong, it's never going to be back in place in your heart until God's on, on the God spot. Amen? So that's the first lesson we learned. How, how long am I in? Okay. Cool. Okay, that's good to know. Um, I've just been going like three minutes, right? That's what I had on the time. J-K-L-O-L. Right, so the first lesson we learned is this this picture that God gives us of a married prostitute, of one that is saying that we're married to God and that God longs for and has created this amazing relationship where all we need and that he's given us a promised land that's flowing with milk and honey and that it's this beautiful way that we can experience the goodness of God and show it to the world. And yet, we find ourselves living below that promise, right? And sharing it with the other gods of our heart. So we need to turn from that. (laughs) Amen? Cool. We got to turn from that. We got to turn from that. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to turn from that. If God's highlighting something in your heart, you can start before I get there. If you want to start repenting now and turning towards God, you can can do that. But I want to go to a few other lessons that we learned. Um, secondly is a downward spiral. A downward spiral. Um, this section of the book is kind of like the second introduction of the book. If you're reading, if you're reading through it, this kind of helps you make sense of the rest of the book. Because um, what it describes in verses 10 through 19 is this cycle that's going to start and then just keep going. And, uh, but the other thing is it's, it's downward because it just gets worse and worse. And uh, just quickly what the cycle is is, um, well, the first thing that sets off the cycle is in verse 10, where it says this. And after that the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So another generation grew up. This is two generations after being brought out of Egypt. 
Two generations after seeing the plague, after the plague, after the plague. And then we walked across on dry land. And then we had manna rain down so we could eat. Two generations later, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. First lesson is we can never assume that faith is just going to automatically get passed on to the next generation. That's something God has given to us as our charge as the church. To teach and train our children, to teach and train the younger people, to teach and to spread the gospel out so that more and more people know. That was the quickest point ever. Secondly, the next verse says this, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. See how quick that happens? And, and, and if you look into what it's saying there, it's not that they didn't know who the Lord was. Right? It's, it's not that they didn't know about the Exodus and about the, the Red Sea and the miracles. It's that those truths were no longer central to who they were and how they worshiped God and how they understood themselves. Right? And basically they forgot. <laughs> they forgot the gospel that the, the sovereign God of grace brought them out of slavery and gave them a promised land. And that they were there for a purpose. And as soon as they forgot that, as soon as they let go of the gospel, that's when they <coughs> did evil in the eyes of the Lord. If you're reading through Judges this series, you're going to see that phrase over and over and over. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals. And they served the other gods. And uh, here's the, uh, the cycle. I think I have image, Matt. Yay. Images. There we go. So this is one way of saying it. And different people have different points. But first is that they sinned. So they turned away and they worshipped other gods. And then God's angry at them. And so he sends them uh, people to oppress them and afflict them. Right? Ironically, it's the people whose gods they're worshipping. Right? But God sends them to be servants, right? So then it's servitude. And then, uh, you like all the S's? It's kind of fun, right? Um, but then after they're, they're groaning and they're in great distress, and it says that they cry out to the Lord and repent, right? Uh, supplication is another word for prayer. So they cry out to God, and then he sends a judge, which is a person in a black robe, like from the Supreme Court, and... <laughs> No, um, a judge is another word for a leader, like a regional political military leader that God sends and gives him the power of the spirit to, to go to battle and, and um, relieve them from the people that are oppressing them. Does that make sense? And then everything's great as long as the judge lives. There's silence in the land. There's rest, right? And then as soon as the judge dies, boom, you go back <laughs> to the sin. And in verse 19, it says this. Um, but when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. You guys see what I'm saying? Downward, it's a spiral. It's not just, it's like, eh, we're going down. Lesson here is that the human heart is never neutral. A lot of times we think, oh, I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to church, I'm participating, and then if I'm not doing that, I'm just coasting. I'm good. But what we see happen to them is the same thing that we see happening to us. It, because when we stop worshiping God, when we forget to worship the Lord, we forget to look at the gospel, it's not like our hearts stop worshiping. 
It just the worship hose just goes to a different way, right? Now I'm worshiping this God and this God and this God. It's, it's, there's no coasting in this life. Yeah. Our hearts aren't neutral. And so, when we forget God, when we forget the gospel, we're prone to cycles of sin. Anyone? I am. I am. (laughs) No one's excited about that point. Surprise. (laughs) We're so prone. We're so prone to these cycles of sin, but there's good news too. And I promise you, (laughs) I promise you, we're getting there. All right? So we're prone to a downward spiral. We're prone to cycles of sin. The next thing I just wanted to share is uh, the, the last lesson before we go to the lessons of hope that we also have in the gospel is the, the scriptures describe a tarnished identity. See how the story ends? That they, that they refuse to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. And in the last verses we read, they lived among the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, kind of has a ring to it. Um, They lived among the people that they were not supposed to live among. And they took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. They made the most intimate covenants that they weren't supposed to make. God told them, don't make a covenant with these people. And don't serve their gods. Break down their altars. We see that what do I mean by the, 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 the tarnished identity? That God sent them to be a people of God, to be a blessing to the world, to be a blessing to the nations around them, and yet they end up looking and acting exactly like the nations around them. You guys see that? That breaks the heart of God for his people. Because those other gods that they're out there busy sacrificing to are not real and can never save and will never show them grace and love and true intimacy that God has offered them and that God has offered us. And we should heed this lesson of scripture to watch our hearts that we as the church don't just blend into the world that we're supposed to be a light to. That we don't have such a heart to just relate with people that we quit relating with God. And that we make covenants he told us not to make. Yeah. And we serve the gods around us he told us not to serve. Is that tracking? Yeah. Yeah. Whew, so now that we're all depressed. Um, <laughs> amen, all right, it's close. No, um, joking, I'm joking. Uh, no, but what are, the, what are the hopeful answers? Because like I said, we, we don't see a lot of, I mean, we do see, uh, we don't see a lot of hope in their actions. We do see a lot of hope in God's love. We do see that, that his judgment is merciful, right? That the whole cycle we talked about, like it's God's mercy that he let them run into the consequences of their sin. And even though that hurts to say it, it's true. And God will use the consequences of our sin to get our attention back to him. 
And that's his mercy because he's the only one worthy of our worship. And when our lives are aligned with him, that's when our life goes well with him. So we see God's mercy. But, but what else do we see as, as those who are here, as those who are not uh, living in you know, a promised land? I guess we are, San Diego, promised land, kind of close, right? But we're not in the, the same situation as them, but we do live in a culture that, that in the same way that their culture would say, well, your God can exist, but he just can't be sovereign overall because we have all these other gods, right? We live in the same kind of attitude. You can have your faith, but keep it to yourself. Don't let it affect your public life. Don't let it affect you when you're at school. Don't let it affect you when you're at work. Keep that to yourself. Right? Does it sound familiar? I got to reel it back in. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, Here's where I'm going. How can we learn from that in our age? Firstly, when God is, God, God is faithful when we are flawed. Even when we're faithless, he cannot abandon his own. God is a God who makes a covenant of love with his people. And he keeps that covenant of love. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. 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 That's why we can sing, oh, come to the altar. Father's arms open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And though we're flawed and though we often choose against him, he is faithful. And this is how we know love. Not that we were so faithful to him and we just love God. I just love him naturally. No. No, it's that he loved us and he sent his son to die for us. Amen. Anyone thankful for that faithfulness? Secondly, for those of you who saw the cycle and got depressed (laughs) and thought, I felt that cycle in my life and how do I get out of it? God will finish what he started in you. We We have cycles of sin, but Jesus promised abundant life. And he, he actually introduced another cycle of ongoing renewal. God will finish what he started in you. 1 Thessalonians 5. I think we have it. Um, do we? Yeah. yeah perfect. Yes. Um, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. That means change you from within. Make you more holy. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. Not partly. May he help you clear out all the gods of your heart. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just a wish. We have the next verse. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. That when our hope is in Jesus and that when our eyes are open to the idols we've been serving, if we choose to repent and believe the gospel, believe in the loving faithfulness of God and his sacrifice for us on the cross, we will experience ongoing renewal. Yeah. 
that we will see Jesus and not forget about the gospel. And as we see it, we'll, we'll repent and then we'll change to display Jesus to the world around us. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean God is perfecting us. And God doesn't leave tasks unfinished. He can multitask. And he is constantly. And he doesn't like give up on his projects. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. Right, you see that? Continue to work it out because someone's working in. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God's helping you want to do good. The reason you even want to do good is evidence of God at work in your life. But not only does he help you want to do good, he empowers you to do good. Amen? This all right? Whoo. Good. <laughs> so God's faithful and reflect. God will finish what he started in, started in you. Instead of a downward spiral, God promises us ongoing renewal. Mark 1, 14 and 15, when Jesus came and just blazed on this scene, proclaiming the gospel, this is the summary of how he proclaimed it. Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. This is what he said. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. This is how you get into that kingdom. Repent and believe the good news. As we look at the gospel, as we look at the faithful love of God, the cross, as we look at his kingdom and his word and his ways, and they may be uh, clashing with our hearts and what we want to do, if we look to him and we repent, if we change our mind and set our minds on the things of God and believe in the good news for us, we are going to experience life. That that cycle we have, we'll, we'll still have cycles, but they're going to be leading to more and more life. Amen? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, everyone say contemplate, the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. What that means is just like they forgot the Lord and then did evil, the Bible says that if we look at the Lord and we contemplate his glory, that we are changed with ever-increasing glory. We become like who we worship. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Two more things that are encouraging to me. And then we will uh, wrap up. One is that when I look at that cycle and when I see judges, my heart breaks for the people of Israel and my heart breaks even for myself because I've seen those cycles and, 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 and felt discouraged by those cycles of sin. And, and yet, every time God gave them a judge, they were free and they were fine, right? Until the judge died. And then they went off and did their own thing. And what we see... What I think this is pointing us to is that we need a deliverer who won't die. We need a deliverer who will conquer our hearts and then reign. And that's who we have in Jesus. 
Revelations 1, Revelation 1.18 says this, Do not be afraid. This is Jesus speaking. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is our deliverer who won't die. Jesus is our hope who has, who, he's the judge who died our death and now lives for our life. Woo! Glory! <laughs> you guys heard that a few sermons ago. <laughs> Jesus is our deliverer who won't die. And instead of a tarnished identity that's stained by our disobedience, Jesus gives us a gospel identity, a new identity. Ephesians 2 says it this way, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And we know the Israelites can't boast because we get to read their example, but we can't boast either. We're saved not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Another translation says masterpiece. Did you know that you're part of God's masterpiece? That that's your identity? Not all the times you failed, not all the times you disobeyed, not all the marks that God could have against your record, but that he says you're part of my masterpiece? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 1 Peter 2 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Amen. So as we consider judges, as we've read through uh, this introduction of the book, may we consider the lessons that God would teach us through his people. But also, instead of just hanging in there in the bottom of the tragedy... (laughs) Will we turn towards the hope, the beautiful hope that God has given us? The love that he shows us in the cross. The hope that he gives us and that he will never die. He is the living one. I love that quote. I was dead and now I live forever and ever. May we put our hope in our deliverer who won't die. May we turn away, may we identify those idols that I mentioned earlier. May the Holy Spirit illuminate those idols that are in your heart. And you may have heard this uh, before, but trust me, I need to hear it a lot. Maybe God's giving you a reminder of whatever it is. Maybe you already know what it is, but you just need to come and repent again. And believe the gospel all over again. And experience that renewal in your heart. And the Holy Spirit will renew you. And so, let's do that today. I'm going to pray and we'll respond to God's word. Father, I thank you for uh, this time that we've had together as a church. I thank you for everyone that's here. I know um, uh, there's many here who are believers and 
maybe there's some or several here who aren't believers who uh, don't know about this gospel or this faith thing, but, but I pray for each one of us. Uh, we know that this issue of idolatry affects every human heart. And, uh, but God, the good news is your grace, Lord. It's not that we can try and put enough oomph in that we make ourselves perfect and then um, we're good. But no, God, it's, it's the story of your unfailing love to rescue flawed people, to reach out to people who, who at times are even ignoring you and turning away from you and forgetting you and serving other gods willfully. And yet, Lord, this is love. Not that we love you, but that you loved us and sent your son to die for us. And so we thank you for that. I pray for, for every uh, man and woman and child here, Lord, that their faith would be awakened. Holy Spirit, that you would bring conviction, but also bring encouragement and exhortation. And God, help us, to, help us to have a time of repentance today, but also help us to have a time of worship and just thankfulness uh, that you give us so much hope. You give us so much hope. Thank you for being real with us, God. Thank you for your word. It's not just pretty and not just brushing over the, the mistakes of humanity, God. And because it's that way, that's how I know I can relate with it, God. Because it relates to me and it relates to how messed up I am and how messed up this world is. And yet you have good news, the best news in the middle of that, God. And I've tried to proclaim it today, God, but in my weak attempt, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would apply it in every heart. God, that we would not, get, that given this opportunity, we would not just do the same thing and just kind of shut off our minds and take communion or whatever else we do, Lord, but that we would open up this conversation with you, Holy Spirit. We would let you speak to us. That you would change us, God. That, 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 that we could hear the clanking of idols getting knocked over in hearts and just dropping on the floor and us being set free from chains. Chains that have enslaved us to gods who don't love us and can't forgive us and will never care for us like you do, God. So Lord, we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.